Thank you once again for sharing your time with us as we explore some ideas that are really important for all of us to get. In case you did not hear our last podcast, I spoke of an adventure where I seemed to be overcome out of nowhere with a kind of fear about getting on an airplane. Please do go back and listen to that if you haven't. And I indicated at the time I had no idea what caused it. Well, in retrospect, of course, I do know, which is my children were small and I was feeling pretty guilty about leaving them at home. In fact, I was feeling rather guilty about not knowing exactly how to do this mother thing, (laughs) which I'm sure none of you have ever felt before. (laughs) So as it turns out, my concern about that was unwarranted. My boys are fabulous and I adore them and they don't seem to have suffered unduly, but at the time I couldn't know that. So the fear that I experienced then, I do totally understand now. So now today I want to talk to you about the opposite situation where one time I tried very hard to make myself afraid and I just couldn't do it. (laughs) Back when I lived in Colorado, two or three friends and I joined a few other women up in Wyoming for a vision quest weekend. Actually, it's longer than a weekend. And in case you don't know what a vision quest is, it's a ritual practiced by a lot of Native American Indian tribes. And it's a universal and very ancient means of attempting to find spiritual guidance and purpose to to provide deep understanding of one's life. And typically, vision quest is undertaken by teenagers as a rite of passage. Well, in many ways, we're emotional teenagers, so we need our own rite of passage in discovering more about our own life's purpose. And the hallmarks of a vision quest tend to be being secluded out in nature, where there is that possibility of deep communion with fundamental forces, shall we say, or spiritual energy. So off we go, and I think there are a total of about 14 of us who converge on a 2,000-acre ranch outside of Laramie, Wyoming. As I recall, we met on a Wednesday evening, got acquainted, and then things began in earnest on Thursday. On Thursday, there was a lot of material presented to us by those who were more knowledgeable about the whole purpose and process of a vision quest. And then somehow throughout the day, we went around and picked up all sorts of natural objects and made our own ceremonial and ritual ornaments and things that we would use. The next day on Friday, we all were in a sweat lodge. And if you don't know what a sweat lodge is, that's also a Native American purification ceremony where you sit in, in our case, it was a teepee, and there's always a fire that's built the day before, so they get very hot, and then you pour water on it to steam the place up. And it's supposed to be very, very hot. Well, Although we were there in August, for some reason on this day, it was quite cool. So although that fire had been burning for 24 hours, it was not very, very hot. It was really, really comfortable. So the purpose of this, as I say, is a purification ceremony. And there are usually prayers and chants and some drumming and a lot of very deep sharing and telling the truth. Anyway, it was a very lovely thing. Then the next day... We were to go off and do our secluded part. What this entailed was 
all of us stood essentially in the same place, and we were to each go off in different directions of the compass, whatever called to us. And the terrain on this ranch was quite varied. There were woods, there were open fields, there were areas where there were pastures, in some cases an occasional tree, and there was also some more barren and rocky and desert-like terrain. And I felt called to something of a south by southwest direction, which took me right into that desert. And our job was to walk in a straight line for two to three hours so that as each one of us walked in different directions, by the time we had gone that long, we were very far apart so that we were completely and totally on our own. And if anything happened, well, we just had ourselves to call upon. So there was no way under any circumstances to communicate in any normal way with anybody else. So we each had our own goal. Mine was to really face fear. I have no idea how that came to pass because this was quite a long time ago, but nevertheless, that's what I was attempting to do. And in this process of going into the wilderness, so to speak, we took only enough water to stay hydrated, no food was allowed, no anything except your backpack, sleeping bag, a little mat, and writing materials so that you could take notes. That was it. So it was a very unencumbered trip, which was the whole point. So we left at noon on Saturday. We were to return by noon the next day. So here we are, these 14 women doing the very best we can as Caucasians to replicate a Native American ceremony, but our intent was very pure. So I thought, okay, I'm off to face fear. Now I'm feeling really good about this because I'm enjoying myself no end. I guess we located an object someplace on the far horizon to walk toward. Somehow we did that in straight lines. Exactly how we got back without getting lost, I don't recall, but we did. So I walked my two or three hours, and as I approached the two-hour mark, started looking around for the perfect place, and it's getting more and more barren. And so up ahead, I see this big outcropping of rock that just seemed to be sticking up out of nowhere, about the size of two school buses with a kind of a flat, rocky ledge on the top. So as I got closer, I noticed this big pile of bones. So up above, it was real clear as I examined this further, eagles would land up there and eat their rabbits and other small animals. They would just drop the bones down in this large area at the bottom of this big rock face. So I thought, well, this is a good place to start. I'll camp here by this pile of bones. (laughs) Maybe I could conjure up a little fear. So I pitched my tent, trying to get all of the rocks out of the way. That alone should have had me go someplace else. But anyway, I worked pretty long and hard in making it as smooth as possible. So after pitching my tent, I got out my little notebook and sleeping bag. By this time, it's, I don't know, let's say it's four in the afternoon. And we had been given instructions about how to do some sort of a ceremony around our tent I don't know, put white light around it or something to make ourselves very safe. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. If the point is to face my fear, then it seems counter to my mission to try to make myself safe. So I'm not going to do that. I don't know what I did for those hours between, say, four in the afternoon and when it got dark about nine o'clock, but I did some writing, some meditating, walked around, 
expecting, to just be open, to be quiet, to let whatever insight wanted to come, to come. So as it got dark, I could hear wolves howling in the background. And they weren't right around the corner, so nothing about that made me feel endangered. So here here I am. It's dark. I'm in the middle of the desert next to my pile of bones. The wolves are howling, and it's like, darn, nothing. I can't feel afraid no matter what. So then I start to imagine some stuff, like, what if there's a big jailbreak at the prison? It's probably not a prison, probably a little local jail in Laramie, and all these guys escape, and they're all insane, and they're all horrible, and they're all coming our direction. Nothing. It didn't work at all. I couldn't conjure up anything. Actually, the night, I didn't sleep a lot, which I think is also part of the idea. You're supposed to not sleep much and eat nothing kind of put you in an unusual state of mind. And I would write some during the night. So the reason why I couldn't sleep is not because I was necessarily so successful at contemplation, but because every tiny little grain of a pebble the size of a half a kernel of corn felt like a boulder. (laughs) So it was like sleeping on a bed of nails. But nevertheless, I got through the night and the next day I got back on time at noon, as did everyone else. We didn't lose anybody in the process and then spent some time debriefing. But my conclusion was that there actually was nothing to fear. That was my conclusion at the time, since no matter what I did, I couldn't make myself afraid. Well, now I know a great deal more about it. Becoming fearful is related to closing down and resisting, and I'm doing exactly the opposite. Unwittingly, I am preventing my fear. I hope you take notice. I was open I was ready for it to happen. I was looking for it. I was ready to embrace it. Everything about that open attitude was preventing my being afraid. So take that to heart. The more you are open to feeling whatever it is that's in front of you or what your feelings may be or what your ideas may be, the more you are open, the more it's impossible to be afraid even if the circumstances are more threatening than mine. Mine really weren't threatening unless you happen to be afraid of being out in a desert by yourself where nobody can find you if something happens to you and you're sleeping by your pile of bones. So unwittingly, I am creating a situation where fear is impossible. What a great lesson to learn. I love passing these on to you. I've always considered my life an experiment and When I find out interesting things in my experiment, I surely do want to pass them on and hope they're helpful to you. As Shakespeare said, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Obvious conclusion, stay open, stay welcoming of what is, and fear will not find a way into your heart. Have a wonderful week. Bye. (music)